Ball down. The kick is up, and it's no good. He missed it. Wide to the right. It remains 20-17 to 17 Philadelphia. That never had a chance from Amendola. The Eagles are going to win. We're thinking about putting them on a bus, driving them by the airport for a home game. <laughs> yeah, I mean... Yeah, I mean, yesterday was about as close to a road game as you can get, so that, that didn't work, so we can scratch that off the yeah, list. the final call from Dave Pash. <clears throat> Not the final call, but uh, the, the big play that led to the final call. Yeah. Matt Amendola missing a 43-yard field goal, and the reason why I played that was you can hear just the raucous applause. The Cardinals were playing a home game. Yeah. Their kicker misses a field goal. That would have sent it to overtime. And the applause and cheering was audible. And it they hear Cliff Kingsbury saying it's as close as we've had to a road game, so that didn't work. I uh, I saw something the NFL Network had put out on social media, and it was a field view level of the Eagles sideline after the kick was missed. And they didn't show the kick, they just showed the reaction. And, and they panned the sideline, so as a result, you got to see all of the lower bowl behind the Eagles uh-huh. bench. And the, the audio, even more so than the visuals, because you're used to seeing seeing a pocket, a, a dense pocket of fans. This was just the entire, everywhere the camera panned, it was just green eagle colors dominating mm-hmm. it all. And then the sound of it is what really jarred the heck out of me. This was the home team missing a potential game-tying field goal, and the place goes nuts with joy. It, it, it really is jarring. I retweeted it. It, uh, it garnered a lot of reaction. There were some people who lashed, will you stop talking about this? <laughs> I got that, and I also got three emails from people who said they have never had a worse experience in that stadium. Because not was it, it, it was just, they were everywhere, and they were loud. And and the E-A-G-L-E-S chant, it went on for about 15 minutes at, after the end of the game. So Cardinal fans couldn't even get out of there without, aggra- without yeah. some agita. Without some aggravation. Getting harassed at their own home stadium. which go. I mean, it goes way back. If, you, if you're a longtime Cardinal fan from the Sun Devil Stadium days, that was an every week occurrence. It, mm-hmm. shouldn't, it shouldn't happen to this degree now. But this was, in my opinion, kind of the perfect slash imperfect storm for the Cardinals. You've got a team in the Eagles that has a loud, traveling fan base anyway. If the Eagles were 0-4 coming into that game, there would have been a lot of Eagles fans there. Mm-hmm. They are proud. Mm-hmm. Uh, the fact that they were 4-0, the last undefeated team, there's more of those proud fans now that want to get in on the action. Oh, yeah. On the flip side of it, you've got a Cardinals team that can't find a way to win a home game. Eight straight, there are frustrated Cardinals fans who are thinking, all right, do I want to invest my Sunday in spending, you know, it, let's face it, going to a football game is an eight-hour day. Yeah, yeah. Do I want to spend eight hours on my day off and go through the aggravation of watching this team struggle again and dealing with all the Eagles fans? Or do I want to double the money that I paid for these tickets and sell them to Eagles and, fans? And, and I know people right. automatically, when, when that is even brought up, Cardinals fans, a lot of Cardinals fans get pissed. Yeah. That's the reality of the situation. It is. It is and, the reality. And, and we it. live in a city that is, it, it, it's still a melting pot. It will always be a melting pot. This is what we deal with. I'm not saying it's great, but if you want to point the finger at why this is happening, 
Point at the team that can't win a home game. And it isn't just this eight-game losing streak. It's that stat I rolled out in the blast yesterday. They are 10-24-1 in their last 35 home games. That is unbelievable. 35 home games, they've won 10 of them. So they have conditioned their most diehard fans that these aren't going to end well for us. These games are not entertaining. They don't win them. Why should I go there? And you're right. And they go, oh, wait, I can, I can double my money? Sign me up. Well, if you heard from three fans that shared their experience, mm-hmm. that goes to what I just said about the, fr- the the growing number of frustrated fans. And, you know, quite recently, Valley sports fans have been on the other side of it. Go back to game four of the second round of the playoffs against Denver a couple years ago. Suns fans took over Ball Arena. Yeah. And that had to be demoralizing oh, yeah. for Nuggets fans point. and Denver sports fans. That's a great it's point. It's one of those things where you're on the, the majority side of it, the victorious side of it. You are basking in that. Oh, yeah. There's nothing better than that. Yes. Than, than going as an opposing fan base and staging a party in somebody else's building. Yes. Yeah. You're right. There's a, there's a lot of there's a lot of flex that goes on with that. So you know this is this is an issue, and as as people have also pointed out, this this was something that ultimately led to the end of Matt Rule in Carolina. The 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 attendance just cratered. Fans bailed on him. Well, that's the next step. I don't think the Cardinals will ever face that, where the attendance dips because the demand for tickets. And people want to come to Arizona, too, during football season. Yeah, they want to escape yeah, the yeah. miserable weather they're right. dealing with in their hometown. Right, but you, but but this the, these scenes become national embarrassments, right? They be, It's like, wow. But it's also it's, that happening to a team that was in the playoffs last year? And it becomes an invitation to other teams that have a date here. Take, like, ooh, we can take over. Ooh, we can. But again, no. What is the actual impact? Because the team has won nine out of ten games on the road in stadiums where it's almost all the other team's right. fans. Yeah. So, like, how could we make a direct correlation to like this is actually affecting their play at home? So, what Jared is suggesting is that every Cardinals fan sells their maybe that's to an opposing it. fan. No, but that's sort of the joke that <laughs> that's the joke that Cliff Kingsbury was making in the cut you played, and that like you know that was the closest thing to no. having a road game at home, and it didn't help us win. But listen, okay, I I buy, I buy this idea that teams are more equipped to win road games than ever before. We've gone through. There's actual tangible reasons why home field advantage in the NFL has waned in recent years. But you can't convince me it doesn't help. You can't convince me that a raucous crowd does not help your football team. I, and listen, I, I know what you're saying about the Cardinals and their road record. I, I get it. It, 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 doesn't, it doesn't align with what we deem to be the importance of this. But I mean, if, just imagine if you were a, f- a football player on, on Arizona. What would you feel walking out for that? I mean, it, it can't be a great feeling. No. But we're also, I mean, this, you want to talk about an extreme example. I haven't done the research. I'm sure somebody has. What we are watching with the Arizona Cardinals in terms of their road success as opposed to their home success, this has probably never been approached in NFL history. <laughs> to have, right. To have a split like that where they are unbeatable almost on the road and they can't win. At home, I, I we've I've never seen anything like. But it's it. also this particular season. It is a bad coincidence in a way because the three road teams, if you count this week, are by far the three worst teams, and the three home yeah. teams that they played are the three best well, teams yes, that they played. This is not a one year sample. No, I know, I know. That's it's not a one year sample. But 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 I do think that you do have to you do have to mention that one of the road victories was a miracle, and the other 
was against a team that's already fired its head coach. <laughs> that's true. Yeah. yeah. So, so I, I do think I do think it's an issue I, because I, people, if you were a diehard Cardinal fan and you had resisted and resisted and resisted and continued to go to these games like a, a lot of these fans do, and major respect to those that do, uh, it, it's got to be hard. I, that's not you don't want to be the minority voice in your own stadium. Why do you need that kind of aggravation in your life? No, and and you said major respect to those that make that commitment every week. I mean, those that's the bedrock of a fan base right there. Yeah. The diehards, the never give up, they're going to be there every single Sunday. I was one of those people early on. It was a terrible place to be in. When you got abuse from the visiting fan base oh, yeah. every single week in your yeah. home stadium. Right. It was It's demoralizing. Yeah. Bick, why do you think fans get mad when you talk about this? I don't know, because I think they think I'm criticizing them. But I, if they're I, not part of the problem, why I, would they take I, I it personally? Know. Well, I, I think it's also it, it because it is so embarrassing and so not what a sports fan wants to envision is going on around their team that they, it's, they'd rather just ignore that, yeah, I think. It, it, I think there's some of that. It's also, got, I have to point this out, this is not exclusively an Arizona issue. This is happening in a lot of West Coast cities. Mm-hmm. Seattle is pretty much exempt from it, mm-hmm. but Dallas deals with it. The Rams are the Super Bowl champions. Anytime the San Francisco 49ers go to L.A., the Rams are the road team. Yeah, yeah, their logos yeah. are on the no, field, that's that's and they get to wear the uniform right. of their choice, but they're going silent count every time the 49ers yeah, come I, I don't think Kelly Stafford complained about that last yes. year. I don't think the Chargers fan has ever even been to a home Chargers game. So. What is I, a Chargers I, fan? I don't right. think they have any home field advantage. Right. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, no, no, you're right. They're not they haven't cornered the market on this. They haven't. But but what what is unique is the fact they had it and lost it. Yes, that's the difference. Here's the explanation for the answer to your question, Sarah. Someone said, Is there any media member more obsessed with shaming fans for how they spend their money than Dan Bickley? Yeah. See, See, there you go. That's people just misconstruing. Honestly, that was the person's takeaway from that discussion. The tweet we just got. Give it up already, Dan. Vic yeah. did nothing to shame fans. Yeah, but people hear what they want to hear. Yeah. That, that's, but that's just the answer to Sarah's question. That's that's why, though, because they just... Yeah. It would be more disrespectful if Dan expected nothing from Cardinals fans. Yes. Like you're, that you're, would be an insult. You're pressing people's buttons, and they just... They hear one thing, and then they... Yeah. Right. Yeah, Stop that's touching true. my buttons, Vic! <laughs> <laughs> The right. point being, sorry to bury this Some at the end. Some people are all buttons and I'm all fingers. The point being, <laughs> it's up to the team to start winning That's, games at this I, point. Have I not made that very clear? Have I not laid the burden squarely on the team? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Thankfully, it's a road game this week. <laughs> yeah. Right? Get yeah. ready for New Orleans. Uh, at at tomorrow. State Farm? Home <laughs> yeah, game? Right. <laughs> or no? Right. Coming up next, uh, Draymond Green is... Penalty has already been given out. He's going to be back with the team. There's all kinds of different tentacles to this story. We'll get into them next. It's Bickley and Murata Mornings, 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. Dan Bickley, Vince Murata. Bickley and Murata Mornings, 98.7 FM, Arizona's Sports Station. It's never easy. No matter what decision you make in a situation like this, um, it's not going to be perfect. Uh, this is the biggest crisis that we've ever had um, since I've been coach here. It's really serious stuff. Um, 
we're not perfect. You know, our team isn't perfect. Bob and I have definitely made our share of mistakes over the years, um, but we're going to lean on the experience that we have together you know, over the last nine years um, and trust that this is the best decision for our team. That is Steve Kerr, the head coach of the Golden State Warriors. After last night's preseason game against the Portland Trailblazers, Kerr made the announcement. Uh, well, I'll, I'll let uh, Steve Kerr make the announcement uh, about Draymond Green. He is going to come back to practice on Thursday. He's been fined. He will not be suspended. I expect him to play Friday in our last preseason game and, and on opening night. Um, we have spent the last week in deep discussions with all of our key figures in the organization, including Jordan and and Draymond, of course, um, Steph, all of our, our players, Bob, myself. And I can tell you there have been uh, a lot of conversations, individual, one-on-one discussions, um, players-only discussions. Everything that you can think of, all the different combinations that are possible in a, to have in a conversation, we've, we've had them. It's been an exhaustive uh, process. We feel like we have a great feel for our team. You know, we've got uh, a lot of continuity on this team, so Bob and I know our players extremely well. We feel like this is the best way, after assessing everything, for us to move forward. All right, so not suspended, but fined back with the team after a couple days off. And and Draymond Green had his Mm -hmm. press conference as mea culpa after we got off the air on Friday. Um, It was interesting. It was Draymond Green getting really deep, really introspective. He was disappointed in himself. Um I I found his explanation slash apology somewhat refreshing. Yeah, so believable, believable. Yeah. Um, and I think Draymond Green, um, at the heart of it, I think he's a genuine person. Uh, and he opened up. Hey, I was in a bad place. I was having a bad day. Nobody deserves that. Uh, but when you consider how deep he went with the apology, did the Warriors go deep enough? In it, it, should there be a suspension? Now we were joking around in our in our pre show meeting. If we got into a heated discussion right now during, yeah. during the course of our job, hands. and we threw hands, <laughs> and I lost my temper and yeah. threw a punch at Dan Bickley. Socked him in the bean. I'm not here for the rest of the show. <laughs> I might not be here ever again for a couple of reasons, probably because of a you know penalty from, from the employer, but also because, as you said during our meeting, you would throw me right through the <laughs> second floor window. He would defenstrate you. <laughs> Right, right, right. But but if that did happen, okay, say you lost your mind and came over and clocked me, and I knew it was way out of character for you, and I've got a lot of history with you, I probably don't tell a soul. Just all of a sudden, just Dan doesn't talk for about eight minutes on the show. And well, no, I mean we. There, there, I, I'm saying I wouldn't. I wouldn't seek to get you in trouble for it. Is or, what I'm saying. Or even let's suppose that they did find out. Would you could go and say like, you know what? Don't don't penalize him. We want to yeah, move past on. it as a. We've got cameras all over the studio, but, so but everyone's it might have been. It might be leaked. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, I got a point. shaky no. cell phone video going on. It, it, but but I know I I do think I think in this what's interesting in this is people have looked at this and said how can you how can you justify no discipline for a guy who punched somebody at work these are jobs that these guys are doing and when you try to relate it to that it it gets a little wonky but as Vinny pointed out earlier if you're a basketball player and you chose to press charges on a teammate you would never lose the shame that you would begin to feel 
behind closed doors. Unless there was a serious injury suffered. Like if, right. if Jordan right. Poole falls backward and Cracks hits his, his head, head on open. the floor, okay. and th- then we got something. Yeah. But I mean, you've brought this up before, that Michael Jordan punched Steve Kerr, right? right. Yes. There was no penalties right for that. No. No, and then there's there's because Steve Kerr knew I I I, I got to take this. There's I, probably this is unreal, Michael freaking Jordan, right? There's unre, I mean there's unreported stuff that happens in practices in yes. locker rooms yes. that aren't on video scuffles that it happens. It happens a I, lot. I have found from the basketball community former players on social media the separation right down the middle on this there's a lot of players that had really good careers steven jackson was very vocal about it and said no there's a line you draw you never ever fight with a teammate patrick beverly who i think would fight anybody said there's a line you draw never and then the flip side of it is oh this was nothing you should see the stuff that we went through during my career that's true there has been a there's been a, a former athletes who have been astonished by this and some were yes. like yeah this happens all the time but it's also it's probably a bigger picture for the Warriors because it wasn't like this was something that was bubbling and boiled over between these two of these guys who are two of the key contributors to the Warriors. It's not like this was a one-time, completely out-of-character thing. That's that's sort of the difference well, between if you and Vinny got in a fight. What's interesting to me is Steve Kerr admitted that our culture has been damaged because of this. Biggest crisis we've ever dealt with. So what, is that, what does that mean? What does that look like on a basketball court? It's so funny, though, when, when when you hold this situation up and you hear those words from Steve Kerr, who's been there for four championships, for a you know a finals collapse, for a couple of seasons that were really dark because of injuries and all of that. He says this is the worst crisis we've ever been through. Yep. And I think most people will look at this situation and say, it's the Warriors. They're going to be fine. Draymond will come back. They'll win 55 games. They'll be a favorite for the, for the title. Yet here in Phoenix, because we don't have that championship experience with the Suns, people will say... D.A. didn't talk to Monty. This team is screwed. I mean, what's a bigger issue, honestly? <laughs> Am I wrong? <laughs> well, your history, not your history and your championship pedigree and your culture yeah, gets factored in I, a lot. Now, I think this might be an issue for the Golden State Warriors. Well, it's an issue if Jordan Poole says, you know what? I'm not interested in that contract extension with you guys. That's when it, that's when it becomes a big issue. And it's it, me it, or Draymond. It's it's right. It's really it's yeah. going. And then then what do you do? Then what do you do if you're the Warriors? Jordan Poole is a unbelievable young talent. I mean, isn't and part, Draymond Green is the heart and soul of your team? Isn't part of the reason that Durant didn't want to stay in Golden State because of Draymond Green? Yes, and that's apparently only the second biggest crisis they've ever gone through. <laughs> <laughs> Losing a top three player in history. Jay Crowder, eight, right. Jay Crowder and draft picks to Golden State for Draymond Green. Oh, sign me up. Sign me up. Oh, could, could that ever happen? The man's a what menace. A, he can't I mean, be trusted at practice. I don't know that the Who Warriors. Gets punched first on the Suns? The Warriors probably don't care about draft picks, but maybe, you know, Crowder and Saric for Draymond. Wow. He just blew my mind, Vinny. <laughs> wow. 
That would be that would that would be that would be a piece the Suns could use. I'll tell you that. I can't wait to read the tweets that just came in. Shut up, Murata. We don't want him. No, we do. I would want him in a heartbeat. Are you kidding me? He's like I had this discussion with my sons over the weekend. My younger son would be like, "Yeah, I'd take that." My older son's like, "Nope, don't want him. That's funny. Can't stand him." And then I told the story of Danny Ainge. How everybody in Phoenix hated Danny Ainge with a passion, and then the son signed him. And he checked a box and was beloved from day one. That's the kind of player. Yeah. Those are the kind of players yeah. that move the needle. Wow. And Jay That's, Crowder is that kind of player, too, to a lesser right. extent. But I, I just don't think Jay Crowder is, is near. Well, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how, how less of a player he is than Draymond Green. That's interesting. I wonder if they, I wonder he, if they go He does that. things Draymond doesn't do. Uh-huh. Draymond yeah. does a lot of things Jay doesn't do. Yeah. But in terms of the edginess. Uh-huh. Yeah. Ooh. I think in terms of and we're the Suns are going to miss Jay Crowder's edge if they can't replace it. Draymond would fill that gap and more. He's the edgiest player in the league. Wow. Uh, you, you can text your thoughts to the FanDuel text line at 620-620 right now. Coming up next, the big stories of the day as presented by Sarah Cazell in the Rush Hour Reboot. It's Bickley and Murata Mornings, 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. 98.7 FM, Arizona's Sports Station. Rush Hour Reboot. Rush Hour Reboot. Setting you up to speed on everything happening in sports this morning. Brought to you by Brooklyn Betting. Arizona built for America's dreams. Good morning, everyone. Happy Wednesday. Welcome into the Rush Hour Reboot here on Bickley and Murata Mornings on 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. We take you through the top stories of the day in Arizona sports and beyond every single day at 7.30. I'm Sarah Cazell with Dan Bickley. Hey. Vince Murata. Then it's murder, she wrote, starring Angela Lansbury. R.I.P. Two straight days of deceased celebrities. who That's been making the rounds, I guess, from a... Documentary yeah. they did on them, yes. About how the, Madden and Summerall had a like a inside joke bet between the two of them of how long they could go between murder and she wrote. Yes, <laughs> there was also one murder. one time where she wrote? it went from murder she wrote yeah, to gone, to with, gone with the wind and gone with the wind. Yes, that's amazing. Gene wanna... Simmons, Cam <laughs> from Kiss, Johnson, Cam. Johnson? <laughs> <laughs> Tremendous. That's outstanding. Legendary. All right. Welcome into the Rush Hour Reboot, everyone. We're getting started with the Phoenix Suns, who are back on the court tonight. They have their final game of the preseason against the Sacramento Kings. And then the real deal starts one week from today. Luka Doncic and the Dallas Mavericks. Whew. Bill Simmons and Ryan Rosillo, they were discussing the Phoenix Suns on yesterday's edition of their podcast, The BS Pod. And Ryan Rosillo said, of all the wild storylines around the Suns this offseason, and there were many, he couldn't believe, above all, that the Suns did not bring in another guard, another combo guard, someone like Dennis Schroeder. Here is Ryan Rosillo. How can you not bring in a guard to just ease the the play setup burden for Paul? Have him play off the ball a little bit, because if he continues to break down like this late, which we've now seen, because I don't know what to believe at the end of this this uh, playoff blowout. So you're not believing in Cameron Payne again? No, I'm, I'm for Cameron Payne, but I still expect expect Chris Paul to play really well. I can't believe the front office couldn't do something to try to maybe, hey, as he gets older, have a slightly different plan of attack to protect him. Um, and they, they didn't do it. They didn't do it again. 
Okay, so looking at this 2022-23 Phoenix Suns team, is that also the most urgent need in your eyes? What's the most glaring need or glaring issue heading into this season? Um... Since it's a backup position, it, it's a need. I, I don't disagree with that as, uh, uh, assertion. But I want more size at the four. Yeah. I think rebounding is an issue. Yeah, I think that's an issue. I, I, yeah, I think that the size is an issue. It definitely campaign is. Uh, he, he makes the list of the of the things that I, I'm most concerned about. I'm not sure if he's number one. I, they're going to need another prolific type scorer for the postseason to be successful and I guess they're hoping that DeAndre Ayton can be that guy in the short term I don't you don't know man so I'm, I'm gonna vote with what Vinny said probably probably size and rebounding from the starting lineup okay uh, right now front and center on ArizonaSports.com speaking of campaign the latest from our Kellen Olsen the headline is Phoenix Suns need a bounce back year from backup point guard Cam Payne so you can read that on our website right now alright let's get to some postseason base Baseball, the NLDS and ALDS uh, both got underway yesterday. Some great games and some, you know, kind of nothing games. But former D-back Robbie Ray, he's now with the Seattle Mariners. And in the Mariners-Astros game with two outs in the bottom of the ninth, Robbie Ray was on the other end of a three-run shot by Houston's Jordan Alvarez. The 0-1. And Alvarez belts it deep to right field. Houston goodbye. That right there turned a 7-5 Mariners lead into an 8-7 Astros win. That was absolutely wild. After the first day of the divisional round, guys, which series are you most excited to continue tracking to hone in on for the rest of the way? I think the Seattle-Houston series with the way that started yesterday is the answer. I mean, there's... Seattle, I, I was getting the feeling when they had the early lead, I was like, Seattle's going to be that team this year, yeah. right? That they finally break their drought, 21 <laughs> years without a playoff appearance. They just look so confident in the way that they came back against Toronto. Uh, so for the, their very next game, they blow that lead. Uh, that's going to be a fascinating series to watch against a team in Houston that has so much playoff experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, especially now, to see how this whole thing is. It's funny because Mike Salk, who does a radio show up in Seattle, he tweeted out, when, this is when the Mariners were winning. Uh, they were up by three, four runs, and he, and he just expressed how nerve-wracking it was trying to click off the outs and live through these 20-minute oh. bats. And I retweeted, man, I miss that feeling. And then but an hour later, after the walk-off, I'm like, I don't miss that feeling. Yeah, <laughs> I, I don't miss that feeling. It is base, Playoff baseball, when you are invested... It is nerve-wracking. Oh. And I can only imagine what the talk is on Mike Salk's show and, and Brock Ewart's show this morning up in Seattle. The decision by Scott Service to bring in Robbie Ray. Yes, he's the reigning Cy Young champion for, or winner from last year. He did it with a different team. He was very average this year. He was bad down the stretch. Mm-hmm. Robbie Ray had had pitched in relief four times in his entire career, and three of those came I, as a rookie in 2014. I had such a visceral moment when they brought him into the game. I'm like, I, I just had, and I know I wasn't alone. I had this foreboding feeling that this is not going to end well for him. He yeah. gives up a lot of home runs. Jordan Alvarez. 
Alvarez is terrific against lefties. His splits are the same against lefties and righties. Mm-hmm. So there's really no tangible advantage to bringing in a lefty at that situation. Yeah. Especially, especially a starter. Especially a guy who's unfamiliar with coming into a pressure situation. Yeah. You see right. this all the time where the, the managers just start overthinking things. I know. And managing know. like they never do the rest of the entire right. season in well, these moments. We love the matchup. Yeah, we, <laughs> exactly. we, we talked about it before the game as if having a conversation about something before the game justifies making the move. We liked what the, the numbers on the sheet said. Yeah, right. Well, right. Oh, you like so you're plan. telling me you just didn't come up with that in the moment? Yeah, Thank right, you for right, that. Right. right. Uh, but to your point, Vic, about not breathing while watching the game. Yeah. Playoff baseball, that's the one sport, one postseason to me where it is infinitely more enjoyable if you don't have a team in it than if you do. I can't enjoy it if I actually care about the outcome. It's way too stressful. It's so hard. It, the, the thing, if, when you're when your heart's invested in a playoff baseball game, it is such a dichotomy because when your team's at bat, you know nothing bad can happen. Nothing, you cannot get negative runs. Right. Maybe nothing good will happen, but, but, but not bad. But when your team's in the field, it is just, the, it is the, <laughs> it's anxiety Overload. That's what what makes it great is that we talk about the slow pace of baseball. The slow pace of baseball in the playoffs just adds to the drama. When you are invested emotionally into it, that 25 seconds in between pitches or whatever it is seems like years, but it, it just kind of it, it, it makes it work, I, know. I think. Yeah. It's, it's exhausting, is what it is. But I am glad the Mariners lost. So, there's that. <laughs> Thank you, Sarah. Sure. Thanks. All yeah. rebooted uh, every morning at 7.30. Sarah takes us through the Rush Hour reboot. Coming up next, speaking of Seattle, those Seahawks have a different look this year. No, they still have the ugly neon green. I'm talking about personnel. We'll talk about how much they've changed next. Typically, Mariah Colorado Mornings, 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. 98.7 FM, Arizona's Sports Station. Dan Bickley and Vince Murata. Bickley and Murata Mornings. It looks totally different. They're hitting tight ends up the seams. It's like the whole thing's grown. So I don't know if I'm high or something. Somebody put something in my food. Because I would have totally thought they're going to score 17 points a game with Geno Smith this year. That is Mike Sando from The Athletic. He joined us yesterday talking about the Seattle Seahawks and their different look offensively. They got a lot of criticism. Full admission, they got a lot of criticism on this very show for the treatment of Russell Wilson on the way out the door. Yeah. Um, They were right. I still don't think the fans were right on that Monday night opener to boo Russell Wilson the way that they did. Uh, But um, Geno Smith has been a revelation. Can he keep it up? He's been one of the best quarterbacks in football this year. He's completing 75% of his passes, nine touchdowns, two picks. They have an explosive running game. They did lose Rashad Penny, their running back, Vic, the Seahawks. Um, uh, he's out for the year. But both he and Kenneth Walker, the rookie from Michigan State, yeah. are averaging over six yards per carry. How about that, huh? Yeah. Yeah, that's um this is this is interesting to me because this is not the prototypical Seahawks team we've grown accustomed to watching. And that is uh, a very laborious offense that that seemed to play well as games progressed under Russell Wilson and a defense that just got after you. And we've we as a football town have experienced a lot of those battles, none more memorable than that 6 to 6 tie that featured just a a, a terrible litany of injuries on oh. Thursday night football you remember that that was that was a tie that felt like a loss 
Uh, th- there are ties that feel like victories, like that game against the Lions to open Cliff Kingsbury's tenure here. So I, I guess what I'm saying is is preparing this preparing for this year's Seahawks team, there's not much to draw on other than the recent game film that suggests Geno Smith is a really good quarterback. And I don't know if I believe it still. But I but I've watched his highlights. He's he's throwing. He's his arm talent has been insane. Yeah, he made. There was a throw that went viral from from the game against New Orleans the yeah. other day, and you're like, he Just made that dropping throw. Dropping dimes on people. Yeah. Um, Cliff Kingsbury, head coach of the Cardinals, he shared his initial thoughts on the Seahawks, uh, the Week Six opponent for the Cardinals. This from uh, Monday's interview with Wolf and Luke. Yeah, they do. Um, really impressed with Geno Smith. I mean, to have the opportunity he has and, and the way he's playing is is uh, is cool to see as, as a guy who bounced around some different teams and. Um, you know, Pete always has them ready to go. I think they get they get some young players on, on defense that are ascending and getting better, and uh, it's wide open division. They're, they're right there with everybody else, and scoring a bunch of points right now. Uh, Pete Carroll, the head coach of the Seahawks this week, um, he talked about how the offense is coming around. We have been scoring well. We've been scoring fast and and been explosive and you know and uh, you know. Gino has really taken advantage of understanding this system and working well with the, every aspect of it, uh, from the checks, from the control of the line of scrimmage to what he's doing in the throwing game. And, of course, he's contributing in the run game as well. He's been a big part of that. Um, but he's got a good group around him. You know, He's got a really solid group. The guys up front have come through. The young tackles have come through. Um, he's got receivers and tight ends, and the backs have made their play. So uh, it, it's, just a, it's, it's, it's a really fast-progressing group. Yeah, but the Seahawks going into this game, we know mm-hmm. the Cardinals' problem offensively is they sleepwalk through the first quarter, sometimes through the first half, and then you know rally to try to make things interesting late. Yeah. Pete Carroll talked about his defense. They have the opposite problem. Their defense starts out slow every week. We just got to make our moves and get our get our you know the best guys in the right spots doing the right things uh, as as soon as possible. That we're, we're we're working at it. Um, I don't know why it's like that. You know, I I have no idea why it would it would start slow. Um, but uh, so we're dealing with it again. We know we're going to come out of it. This is the stoppable force versus the movable object. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. And we've heard Cliff Kingsbury for five weeks say, I don't have any answers. That's I don't know funny, why we Jared. start slow offensively. Uh-huh. Pete Carroll, I have no idea why we start slowly. The, the answer to both of those questions might be, Cliff, your offense sucks, and Pete, your defense sucks. Maybe it's just happenstance that it happens at the beginning of the game. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe I hope that's not the case well, on one of those no, fronts. And if you've looked at what some teams have done against the Seahawks defense, and to hear Mike Sando, Mike Sando, again, he's lived in Seattle. I don't know if he still does. I'm guessing he maybe. does, yeah. Okay. He, he, he's he been covering the Seahawks very, very attentively for decades. And he was the first one that told us that Russell Wilson was probably going to be done with Seattle. Yeah. And we were like, what are you talking about? Yeah. And, and the fact that he says he's never seen a Pete Carroll defense this bad. So this is a litmus, litmus test for this offense. If you can't come out and score a first possession touchdown or field goal, if you, if you're scoreless in the first quarter against this defense, then that is going to be very, very damning. Very damning. So let's hope that this is exactly what this offense needs. To, to actually put together four quarters of coherent offense. But it, it, it's it's one of those things, and Jarrett kind of joked about it, but 
it's the exact opposite. I mean, the Cardinals are looking at the Seahawks defense like, okay, this is finally an opportunity for us to get into high gear early on and cure all of our ills. You know, the defensive coaches and the personnel for Seattle looking at game film going, look look at how slow these guys start. This yep. is exactly what our defense needs as a confidence yep. builder to get its feet uh, underneath it. It's, it it's, it's kind of a, for a, a two and three team, a two, two and three teams, that are division rivals. This is actually a pretty, pretty fascinating matchup at oh, this point of the is. season. It is, and I think I think it's a more dangerous matchup for the Cardinals because uh, the expectations are higher. But the Seahawks team, uh, they're making a little bit of noise now, and 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 you wonder what that's going to look like. What kind of momentum they're going to bring? I, that that game against New Orleans for them to continue to score and put pressure on the Saints the way they did. That, I I did not expect to see that. That's a hard place to win. That's a hard defense to move the the ball against and the Seahawks made it look easy. So this is I I don't I have no idea what to expect out of this Sunday's game. Other than it's it, this is the last game before the great reprieve. The the return of DeAndre Hopkins. Yes. But it's almost to the point and we talked about this earlier, this separation of Road Cardinals versus home Cardinals, you're almost encouraged by the fact that they're playing on the road, regardless of where it is at this point. I am. Yeah. Yeah. Listen, I, it's that 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 speaks for itself. The fact that for whatever reason they they tend to put much more complete games and smarter game plans together on the road. So uh, let's let's hope for the best. I think this is um, it's a big opportunity for this football team to get square to get even again. Uh, I think it'd be a great perceptual thing. I think fans might be tempted to jump back on board and embrace this team a little more, knowing that DeAndre Hopkins is coming back. And because let, let's be honest, if if the offense doesn't flash once he gets back, then we've got real issues. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Right now there are issues, but right, there, but there's help on the way. Right, and and that is that has kind of been a crutch. And and once he comes back, then there's there's no there's nothing there's no other reinforcements. Coming. Yes, but I mean, if you look at it in the way this offense is operated with DeAndre Hopkins as opposed to without, the difference this year is Hollywood Brown's presence. Mm-hmm. If there's less attention on Hollywood Brown and he becomes your true number two receiver, that is potentially devastating. I'll say that flat out. Yeah, but it's not guaranteed. No. No, no, none. None of it's guaranteed. None of it's because you know the 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 elephant in the room, if you will, is that DeAndre Hopkins, while healthy last year, wasn't as great as he was in his first year. That's true. That is very true. We'll have a lot more on Cardinals Seahawks as uh, the show goes on, as the week goes on. Those two teams will meet Sunday in Seattle. Coming up next, the second half of the show gets underway with the Bickley Blast. It's Bickley and Murata mornings, ninety eight seven FM, Arizona Sports Station.